The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the tips, techniques, strategies, and advice you need to build your own financial independence through real estate investing. Today on Real Life Real Estate, we are talking about a topic that scares the heck out of some investors, excites others, but is definitely a thing to watch in our market, which is hedge funds. We welcome all of our listeners here within the WMKV and WLHS listening areas, and also those of you who are listening online, for those of you who are not in the Cincinnati area, uh, don't change the channel, but you can put your head down for a moment while I talk about tomorrow night's Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meeting, because if you folks from out of state listen, you're just going to be jealous. Tomorrow night, we have two meetings at six o'clock, one for the new investor called Intro to Rentals and Lease Options, how to evaluate those properties, how the strategy works as a basic thing. So if you're a new investor, you're going to learn the basics of how to buy and manage real estate for the medium and long term. The Active Investors Forum at 6 p.m. is with local investor Ross Shively, who's going to talk about why he invests in group housing. I know that's a, a big topic, that uh, that whole congregate living facility concept where you rent your single-family houses out by the bedroom. He's going to talk about both why they're incredibly profitable and how they can be a huge hassle if you don't run them right. At 7.30, we have hedge funds and how to work with them with my guest today, Scott Davis from Pinklore Properties. Now, I know that this has been a topic that over the past oh, year or so, uh, we've had more and more and more questions about here on Real Life Real Estate. What are these guys doing? Are they insane? What does it mean to me as a small investor that these hedge funds are coming into my city and buying a thousand properties at a time, snatching everything up from the sheriff's sale and everything out of the MLS? So, listeners, today is the time to ask those questions that you have been uh, actually not shy about asking me um, for the last year and a half. Uh, one way to go about doing that is to uh, just send us an email. If you go to askvina.com, uh, which is our official real-life real estate uh, website, you can simply fill in the uh, Ask Vina a question thing and remember to tell us where you are writing from because that does make a difference. You can also give us a call locally at 772-9658 or toll-free long distance at 877-772-9658. Do not send me a question at 6.30 this afternoon after the show is over and expect me to be able to answer it. The expert is here. This is the time, ladies and gentlemen. 
Scott Davis is uh, a, a person who has uh, experience with private equity funds on both ends. He is uh, both a partner in Ideal Capital Partners and uh, I believe your official title is president of Pink Lore Properties, uh, which is a local management company here that does a whole lot of things for uh, on, for and on behalf of various hedge funds. Uh, he is a licensed real estate agent in Ohio. He's responsible for the management of Pinkler's operations, development strategies, and growth plans. He has over 18 years of real estate sales and management experience and has been involved in the purchase, rehab, sale, or lease of over a thousand properties in the past four years. Scott, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thanks, Mina. Glad to be here. I don't think Scott's microphone is on, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Vina. Glad to be here. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we're very informal around here because stuff like that happens, and we just like tell the audience that's what happened because that's what happened. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we do appreciate you being here. Now, uh, let, let's start out with this: um, the term hedge fund, as it as it involves real estate, has come to just describe every institutional buyer of real estate that is not a bank, and in reality, they're not they're not all quote hedge funds so let, let's talk about who who are these people what, what are these things that are actually coming in at colony blackstone are some of the uh, big names that you hear thrown around that are buying zillions of properties what what are they really those entities are in fact hedge funds um you know we hear the term hedge fund and private equity fund used pretty similarly in in this market and quite frankly they don't act a lot differently um, but most of them are a conglomerate of investors. So the big guys, you know, you, you mentioned most of them, Blackstone, American Home for Rent, Colony, et cetera, are in fact hedge funds that have done an effective job of raising a large amount of money, uh, typically paying a preferred return. They typically have a common investment thesis, and then they take that money, uh, you know, in this case, as it relates to real estate, across the country and, and are buying properties in the thousands uh, and likely coming to a town uh, near near you. So, um, you know, Cincinnati has been able to keep most of the hedge funds out, not through anything they've done on its own, uh, but they, they are coming, they are here, and, uh, you know, we're dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, we'll just keep calling them hedge funds because that's what everybody, everybody else does. But um, my understanding of how these companies are typically set up is they they decide on real estate as a, as an investment, and lots of reasons for that, mostly involving the fact that there aren't a lot of other fixed-rate investments that their investors can get that yield the kind of money that residential real estate does. They go file with the SEC, get their exemption, and then typically, uh, not always, but typically, are raising money from what's called accredited investors. Mm -hmm. So these are people that have over a million dollars in net assets, not including their personal residences. They literally will raise millions of dollars at a time, mm -hmm. and then they go write checks for cash. That's correct. And, and most uh, most of the companies are actually uh, getting involved for, for several reasons. Um, you know, what we're finding as we talk to hedge funds and they come to Cincinnati and talk to us is they like the fact that they can, they can get a fixed return um, and they have the opportunity for appreciation. You know, very few use appreciation as part of their basic model, but most are confident uh, buying at these levels that when they do exit, whether it's five to 10 years from now, that they're going to see some pickup when they sell. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, it's not as if the hedge funds are some 
you know, giant blob that are all the same. We've, we've seen a number of them come through town, and there's a number of them nationwide that are looking for different kinds of properties. They're looking for uh, properties, in, in some, some of them are only willing to buy properties built after 1990, and they'll pay, uh, you know, premium prices for those because they believe that they won't need as much maintenance. And then there's some that will come into uh, more traditionally rental neighborhoods where the prices are very low, but the houses are also very old and are, are likely to, uh, to need more renovation. So uh, we don't want people to think that you know, there's there's three of these guys out here, and they're all looking for the same thing because it's just not true. Yeah, it's similar to investors. Um, you know, if if an individual goes to a real estate association, they'll see investors that like apartment buildings, single family houses, different kinds of single family houses. Most of the hedge funds that we've worked with um, are focusing on single family for the primary reason. Uh, you know, typical investors haven't wanted to get involved in single family because it's it's very hard to scale in single family. If someone wants to go buy a thousand properties, it's hard to go, you know, put a contract together with one person and say, okay, go buy that many houses. They're typically having to set up in multiple cities. And depending on what hedge fund you talk to, similar to investors, each has a different thesis and strategy, whether it's, you know, American Home for Rent, as you talked, who wants to buy Houses above 120,000, 20 years old, and make a six percent, you know, uh, gross return. You know, th- th- their theory is that on the nicer houses, they're going to get a larger appreciation as compared to that house that's all in for sixty thousand, where someone can realistically get a, a return of you know eight to ten percent, but likely a little less appreciation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember when these companies first started jumping into the market, which was. Um, year or so after the real estate crash when prices were super low there were so many properties available you could cherry pick i mean you could buy like fully renovated houses in 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 some areas uh, for $25,000 and the 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 comment that every real estate investor i knew who who like buys houses where they live was i can barely manage a property across the city how are these guys going to manage 250 of them all the way across the country. Are they insane? Do they know what they are getting into? Uh, in general, what is the process for doing that? Well, the, the first step is to decide whether property management is going to be in-house or something that's uh, contracted, contracted out with a, with a local partner. Virtually every hedge fund um, basically decides the markets they want to be in. And to your point, um, at this stage of the game, they're in what we're calling Tier 2 Cities. Um, Atlanta, Phoenix, um, we're, we're certainly tier one cities, Dallas, and we saw very clearly hedge funds go in, and, and when they go in, there's a cap rate compression, meaning the more competition there is for a house, it drives up prices and the, your returns start coming down, um, which obviously scares investors that uh, you know don't have millions of dollars to spend. So uh, they, they've made their way to Cincinnati. Um, and once once they decide to come to a market, again, typically what they want to do is partner with someone that's established. Um, and there's lots of ways to get involved with hedge funds, but they want to get involved with people that have been investors that have proven that they can manage multiple houses, that have proven you know that they can do rehabs effectively. And uh, we were one of a few companies that, that filled that niche, and, and we do that for several hedge funds today. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Scott Davis, who is the president of Pinklore Properties based here in Cincinnati. 
we're talking about hedge funds and what they really are and what they do and whether we should be scared of them and whether it's true that you can build your fortune just doing nothing but selling properties to hedge funds, as I, as I know you've uh, probably seen online if you're a consumer of real estate education. Uh, we are taking your calls and questions toll-free at 877-772-9658 or via our website at askvina.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Scott Davis, president of Pinklor LLC. Uh, works with hedge funds who buy lots of properties and is talking to us about what that is like. You can ask your questions by calling toll-free 877-772-9658 or going to our website at askvina.com, clicking the Ask Vina a Question button, and then hitting Send after you've told us where you're writing from. While you're at askvina.com, you might take a moment and download our special report about how to get started in wholesaling uh, this will only be available to real-life real estate listeners for about another week. We're going to need to take it down and put something else up there. But I know a lot of folks uh, grabbed that last week, and you still have a chance at askvina.com. Um, Scott, hedge funds are surprisingly controversial in the sort of political-slash-media world. Um, cities and neighborhood associations tend to be against the quote out-of-town buyer like <laughs> like when you when you go to neighborhood meetings they say oh if it weren't for all these out-of-town landlords our neighborhood would be a better neighborhood do you think that a company that's based in san diego and buys a thousand houses in dayton is a good thing or a bad thing for this community now that is a really good question um i think ultimately it comes down to the long-term strategy of the company and how they choose to manage the property um, if, if their long-term goal, uh, let me say it this way, if their short-term goal is to maximize profit and to basically aggregate homes and sell as quickly as possible to another hedge fund, then that very clearly could be a disadvantage to the, uh, to the community because the, the company in that sense is not going to focus on repairs, maintaining the value of the home if its goal is short-term profit. Luckily, most of the companies that we've had the opportunity to work with very clearly have a goal to to own this property for the next five to seven years. Uh, they look for flexibility in terms of whether they want to sell the house to an owner-occupant, whether they're going to sell the house to a different hedge fund or to a conglomerate. So in that case, they're choosing to maintain the home. Uh, if one has any chance of selling a house to an owner-occupant, clearly they're going to have to do a good job of maintaining and improving the house as they go. And most of them are accruing expenses on a monthly and annual basis for uh, capital expenditures, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're paying taxes. They're improving properties. They're creating local jobs. The good guys are. <laughs> they are. It, it's, it clearly is somewhat of a challenge to, uh, to the small guys that are, are wanting to retail properties. There, there's no question that there are fewer properties available uh, today than there were three to four years ago or when we were at the height of the foreclosure market. Um, so th- there, there is no question that, you know, if, if I'm the guy that wants to do four or five houses a year and, uh, you know, I'm used to buying a, a house at a certain price, when hedge funds get into town, it is a little tougher uh, to buy houses at the same price because those companies are on the courthouse steps buying in cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, are uh, doing exactly what investors around the country are thinking they're doing, which is 
buying its share of sales, so then the REOs don't end up ever in the MLS. They're buying in bulk from Fannie Mae, from large banks. Um, FHA is even talking about doing some bulk sales of their REOs, and they do in fact have local agents who look for properties that meet their criteria in the area, and yes, they are paying more than we will pay. How can they do that? Well, it comes down to if if you're a hedge fund and you're guaranteeing or promising a certain rate of return, typically institutional type investors um, are looking for security and are okay with a lower return. So if I'm a hedge fund and I'm expecting to pay out a return of four to six percent and I need to make some money in terms of carrying costs and my management fees, then I typically can make less money on a property than someone who's buying it for themselves, especially if someone is doing this as either a career or a way to make extra money. Again, the real pickup for hedge funds are going to be the long term. They're making a little bit of money as they go. Clearly, they have to pay for their ongoing operating costs and maintenance. But most, most hedge funds have the theory that if they're buying properties at X, they believe they're going to get, achieve at least a 50% increase upon the sale of that house in five to seven years. Is that realistic? Don't know. But if you look at most of the hedge funds and, and, and talk to them about what their strategy is, they want to make a little bit of money as they go. But clearly, the big win is in five to seven years when they exit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, like the rest of us, have their fingers tightly crossed that in five to seven years, there is still financing available for buyers. There has, in fact, been an upswing uh, in house prices and so on. And it will be very interesting to see as these hedge funds approach the five-year mark, which is a number that I'm hearing a lot from them, uh, and start releasing properties to the market, what that does. Because mm-hmm. although it, 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 it often seems if you are in the market on a day-to-day basis that half the properties in town are being bought by hedge funds, and that is not true. Hedge funds are, are realistically accounting to about, for about 2 to 3% of the real estate activity throughout the country. But they are definitely having an effect on prices, on inventory, and on rents. In some of in some of the areas where they initially uh, focused, which was largely California, Phoenix, uh, some of those markets, uh, and, and they're done with those markets now. They've moved on to places like Cincinnati and Atlanta, as you said. Uh, they've actually put so much new rental inventory on the market that they have created rent wars in some of those areas and depressed the rents. So uh, at some point, they get to the point where they've pushed the prices up and lower the rents enough that they sort of have to, I mean, they have what they have, but they sort of have to to move on. So uh, it will be interesting to see if they have the same effect in the Midwest that they do that they did in the uh, um, bubble markets. That's a great point. Now, the primary reason <laughs> that I wanted you to uh, come on Real Life Real Estate today is that there's all this chatter out there in the real estate education world. People who, they, if they see a trend, they write a course and, you know, it's $1,000 and, you know, I, I, can, I can change your financial life and so on. And one of the trends that I've seen in the last six months is people creating product around the idea that you as the little investor, probably a wholesaler, maybe a retailer, should be finding these hedge funds, finding out what they want, and directly selling them properties and that you can make a zillion dollars in the next two years doing that. Is that realistic? And if so, what does it realistically require? Well, it's it's not realistic in my case, I'll, I'll say that. But um, what, what we had to make a choice as a company, quite frankly, 
is whether we're on what side of the fence we were going to play on. Were we going to be on the investment and equity side and grow our private equity fund, or were we going to essentially partner with hedge funds and essentially facilitate their needs? And what we decided was, although you can be successful, clearly on the equity side and competing, it, it was a risk we we didn't want to take, especially when hedge funds were were coming to the coming to Cincinnati, throwing a lot of money around, saying, "Hey, we want you to be part of it." But as you mentioned, there are clearly lots of challenges, one of which is these hedge funds tend to change their mind quite frequently in terms of their strategy. You know, we, we, we uh, were selected as the property management for one of those large companies and uh, who told us that they, they wanted us to manage the, the properties for quite a long time. And, and eight months in, they said, thank you very much. We're taking it back. And, you know, we invested thousands of dollars in, in terms of making that happen. And it really didn't pay out for us. So one has to choose essentially what side of the fence. Now, what's clear in my mind is with the amount of construction, with the amount of leasing, et cetera, there are lots of ways that individuals can get involved in private equity um, on a short scale. On a large scale, they're typically going to want exclusivity. Um, so we, with the hedge funds that we work with, they all want exclusivity in either a rent range, a price point, et cetera, so that there's no conflict of interest with whom we're working. And for us, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the challenges is you have to define from an exclusivity standpoint, is your company willing to do that? Because what it means is now as Pinkler Properties, I can no longer buy a house in that price point that competes with the hedge fund because I've signed a contract that says I won't do that. So that's that's one of the big issues. Um, the other issue is their margins aren't very good in terms of their, they know that they, they come with some leverage in terms of, you know, Scott, we're going to be buying X number of houses a month. We don't want you to make a 10% management fee, or we don't think uh, we need to pay that given we're going to manage 500 houses. Or if, if I'm doing construction, hey, a, a cost plus 20% is not realistic. They're not going to pay that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on the side of doing ongoing management, doing their rehabs and so on, you really have got to already have a team in place and systems in place and a process in place before you would even think about taking on the sort of volume that most hedge funds are going to want to hand you. The thing that uh, uh, has excited a lot of people, though, is the idea that, okay, so maybe I'm a wholesaler, and maybe I wholesale 10 properties a year to local folks, and maybe I'm looking at what the hedge funds are paying versus what my local folks will pay, and I'm thinking, wow, I could jack up my price another five or $10,000. Uh, are these people really buying from wholesalers, or do they just have real estate agents that they work with, or are there some that will and some that won't? You know, that, that, that is a great question, and it's a concept that came up today, actually, with one of my hedge funds, in that at the end of the day, hedge funds want to partner with companies that have agents that can ideally buy properties directly out of MLS for as low as price as possible. And even though a property very well meet the criteria, um, there is some paranoia out there as it relates to wholesalers. If a wholesaler is going to make $10,000 on a deal, None of the three uh, hedge funds that we work with will buy that property. Not because it doesn't make financial sense. It just um, raises a red flag, and for whatever reason, it's not part of their strategy. So um, although I would agree that it is an opportunity for wholesalers to make money, it's like every other part of the hedge fund business. They know what they have. They're okay with their customers and partners making lower margins on high volumes. 
but we've uh, not been able to sell properties or wholesale properties to the hedge funds when uh, the spreads were more than four or five thousand mm-hmm, dollars. Mm-hmm. And and let me say that's been exactly my experience as well. Um, and again, we don't want to paint hedge funds with a single brush. They the the different ones do different things. But in general, their feeling appears to be, we're the ones with the bucks. We want to capture you. If you're going to be uh, a wholesaler, then you need to offer us all of your properties, not just the ones where we will pay more than anyone else. And we want to limit you in terms of how much you're going to earn. I spoke to a hedge fund a few months ago who wanted our company to do some things for them, and, and they wanted us only to act as agents even though we have wholesale deals all the time. We were not allowed to sell them any wholesale deals. And uh, in addition to that, they wanted to reduce the typical commission. Because they said, oh, well, we're going to do 10 a month, so you can take you know X percent instead of Y percent on that. And uh, being a real estate investor as opposed to a full-time real estate agent, we politely turned them down <laughs> because it just that's just not, you know, I wasn't looking for a job. And uh, that was that was basically what they were looking for. So Again, are there are there hedge funds that will buy from wholesalers? Yes, but in my experience, it's typically the smaller ones who cannot, they're not going to do 200 properties in the next six months, and they can't capture an agent in that way because they don't do enough volume. That's correct. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 772-9658 is our look, uh, number here for questions here in the greater Cincinnati area. 877-772-9658 if you are listening to us online and you want to call toll-free long distance. You can also send an email to us by going to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Scott Davis of Pinkler Properties, who is also uh, giving a presentation tomorrow night at Cincinnati RIA. Um, it's always funny, Scott, when people are guests here on Real Life Real Estate, they say, well, I've only got an hour and a half tomorrow night, and there's an hour tonight, and so am I not going to be repeating myself? Well, as you can tell, that's just not how it works between the uh, the questions and the fact that your organized presentation is probably really organized. <laughs> We're just sort of jumping all over the place. So we want to welcome folks to come out for that tomorrow night at 730. Uh, you can get more information at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A.com. Uh, just got an email via AskVena.com from Larry, who lives in Cleveland. And he says, I need to respectfully disagree with your guests on whether or not hedge funds are a good thing for a city. Here in Cleveland, we are finding many, many companies that are buying properties by the hundreds in bank packages, then just leaving them sit until they sell for back taxes. I don't really understand the business strategy here, but I know it's not good for the community. (laughs) Now, um, that is probably actually a hedge fund who is on the other side of this, because uh, what we're talking about today is really the ones who are buying for long-term holds. You mentioned earlier, Scott, that there's also guys out there who what they do is they buy super cheap houses, super cheap, without anyone looking at them because they're buying them in a bulk package. And then if they can sell them, they sell them. And if they can't, they go for back taxes. And that that's a completely different type of hedge fund. Absolutely. And I certainly wouldn't uh, disagree whatsoever with the individual that emailed in. Uh, you know, we, we've uh, talked to quite a few hedge funds. And we clearly only want to work with those that have an intent of improving properties because, quite frankly, as an operating company, a large part of our income is 
driven through the construction portion of the business. So if a company is just going to buy a house and let it sit, then we can't make any money and we wouldn't want to be involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by the way, Larry, the, the strategy there is not let all the properties go back from taxes. It's, it's pay almost nothing for all of them, then figure out what you got, then sell the ones that can be sold and understand that on a net basis, you will typically make money. Although I understand that on that end of the business, it has gotten competitive enough in the past 18 months that uh, funds just cannot get those uh, really, really, um, those are bank REO packages is what they are. And they can't get them at the pennies on the dollar they used to. And so now with competition, they're starting to overpay. And there's more and more of those that are actually going back for back taxes because apparently that field's become too crowded or something. So I appreciate your comments, Larry. If you have a question or comment, you can go to askvina.com, send it to us that way. Uh, and don't don't go to your email browser and put askvina.com into the, into the line. That's not going to work. You have to go to the website, askvina.com. And then there's a button there that says Ask Vina a Question, and uh, you will send it. Uh, it, will, it will come to me via email here in the studio. Um, so, Scott, you know, we've talked about hedge funds can be a really good thing. They're not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to work with. But bottom line me, hedge funds are in most of our areas now. How If they're here, how do I make money? Well, th- there are certain ways... Um that individuals can can make money in companies. I mean, you mentioned before, um, the first thing that they do is decide on a partner. And typically, they're looking for individuals that can then buy houses, fix them up, and then lease them. Um, and I would say, you know, companies can make money there, but not until they, our experience, have at least 200 houses. So, for example, you know, somebody that wants to get involved, our company did not break a profit until we had at least 200 houses under management just to cover the overhead. Now, we, we built the company for the for the plan of growing, but it's not as simple to go out and just say, okay, we're going to start managing 200 properties. We have 32 employees that cover lots of ground, so there's quite a bit of fixed cost to, to be able to cover and maintain that operation. But once a hedge fund is in town, they clearly um, need some help in terms of a couple ways. For example, acquisitions is probably going to be the the first and easiest way for individuals to make money. Um, I probably wouldn't suggest that you know people think that they're going to cherry pick MLS because there are probably thirty people out there trying to do that exact same thing with relationships with agents. That is the hardest way to do it. Individuals that can develop strategies on buying houses outside of the MLS are going to be successful in whatever market. So. Um, you know, Vina, you, and, and lots of folks in uh, kind of the real estate association have a lot of good methods and strategies for doing that. Um, you know, companies look to us to help buy properties outside of MLS. Clearly, that's one of the things we're tasked to do. It's not an area of expertise for our company, so we rely on other individuals to get those houses and then wholesale them to us. Um, construction is a second area. Uh, we're currently in the middle of doing about 30 rehabs a month. Uh, for for one big hedge fund and, and doing several others as well, um, as you can imagine, we are not we don't have employees down to the individual that does drywall. We're employees down to the supervisor level, so we look for qualified subs to help us do good quality work. Um, so clearly, as it relates to construction, um, you know we're always looking for good help there. Um, the the other interesting part is although most hedge funds um, are not in the in the market of retailing houses, um, you know of the four that we work with, one does some retailing. 
and I use that term, you know, some people might use the word flipping, but it's basically buying a house, fixing it up to a retail standard, and selling it to an owner-occupant. Um, so not all hedge funds are looking, although most are buy and hold strategies, um, there are a few that are doing retailing, and we certainly could uh, could use a few more of those houses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, maybe identifying the companies that are already working with the hedge fund is, right, is the way for the really small guy to go. I mean, our, our, our typical listener is... Uh, if they're a full-time investor, they're fairly new to that business. They're not. They're not. They're not Pink Lore. They don't have you know 30 employees to, to answer the phones and do the rehabs and oversee the rehabbers and so on. And those are the exact people to whom this. Um, excuse me for saying so. Bill of goods about how locate a locate a hedge fund and you will you know literally make half a million dollars as you're wholesaling them houses is being sold. Um, so I, I think what I hear you saying is that. Yeah, you can make money, but you probably have to make strategic partnerships. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, clearly our margin as compared to doing it ourselves is dramatically lower. And again, we talked about the fact that hedge funds know that. Um, so they want to work with people that have a proven track record, but they're also very good negotiators. So as it relates to construction, property management, leasing fees, et cetera, um, we're getting tremendously lower fees than we would normally. Mm-hmm. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Scott Davis. We're talking about working with hedge funds. If you have any questions about what it's like to do that, um, how 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 to go about doing it, uh, what they're looking for, uh, you can give us a call at 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area, 877-772-9658 if you're listening to us on the web, or you can simply send an email by going to askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. And if all Real Life Real Estate listeners told two friends about Real Life Real Estate, we could triple the number of listeners. So you got, you, y'all go ahead and, and, and do that. And uh, if you're listening to us, by the way, on our podcast and wondering why I keep giving out phone numbers when you're listening to a recording, remember that Real Life Real Estate Investing does, in fact, broadcast live from Maple Knoll Village on five, from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single solitary Wednesday. And if you listen to the show live, you can actually call that number and get some questions answered if you would like to do that uh just as anita did who is from birmingham anita says i need to know if there are such things as brokers to hedge funds i was approached on linkedin by someone i didn't know who asked me to put together 50 properties to sell to a hedge fund however this person is not the direct buyer and i'm afraid that i'm wasting my time that happens a lot um, and so the the short answer to that question is there are absolutely brokers to hedge funds. Although hedge funds develop relationships in cities, um, you have to remember they're paying a preferred return on the money invested. They want to put it to use as quickly as they can. So they certainly are looking for stabilized portfolios of properties that they can buy and, and manage appropriately. Now, we've seen it quite frequently when somebody calls and says, Hey, Scott, do you have a, a portfolio of 50 properties, and, and that person's the fourth person in the chain trying to sell? So it is a challenge uh, trying to find the uh, decision maker, so to speak. Um, but no, there, there's no question that funds, are, funds and private equity funds are looking to buy bulk properties in areas that meet their needs that are stabilized. 
Anita didn't ask this question, but let's let's see if we can answer it for her. How does she know if she's working with one of these what we call joker brokers or <laughs> whether this person is legitimately direct with the fund? Um it's it's not always easy. Um, you know, typically you can find out by by just asking or you know having the person send credentials. But um, you know, it, it's not always. E- I'll be the first one to admit it's not always easy to find out. Um, and at the end of the day, if the hedge fund is okay with three levels, that's fine. But typically, as we talked in the wholesale uh, s- scenario, uh, they typically want to go right to the source to minimize the price. Well, and as you mentioned, they don't like people adding stuff. On they don't like a lot of fees being added on to to the direct price, and uh, that's the problem I see is that I mean Anita, if what you have is somebody who's fourth level down, what has really happened is the hedge fund has placed an order for properties at thirty a door, and so you're being told twenty a door so that the three guys in between you and them can each add twenty five hundred dollars, and that that may blow up just on the basis of all of those fees, even if the properties are otherwise. Um, things that meet the criteria of that hedge fund. So uh, I would say be careful, Anita, because I've had a, a few folks uh, that I've talked to in the last six months or so who've gone to enormous lengths to put together and find these things. And some of them have even gotten to the stage of a letter of intent, and it blew up. So if the, if if 50 deals means that's going to be your full-time job for the next six weeks and you're not going to make any money at all for the next six weeks if it doesn't fly, uh, I would definitely explore further and uh, see what you're really dealing with. Um, Scott, speaking of meeting the needs of the hedge funds, I'm not, I'm not seeing them in the Cincinnati area where the the median house price is like 129 buying $200,000 houses. We are starting to see them buy $20,000 houses, which we didn't see so much uh, a few years back. What 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 are they after? What do they want? Yeah, th- to answer that question, you really have to understand what what their exit strategy is and most hedge funds are leveraging the fund. So what they do is they'll raise $100 million at a time. They'll go uh, rent those properties out, and once it's stabilized, they'll go to a bank, Citibank, Deutsche Bank, or another large bank, and look to leverage the portfolio. The challenge that they run into is although a bank cannot say, we won't lend to houses in rough areas, or we won't lend to houses that have, or portfolios with Section 8 in them, they, they can't say that. The reality is the hedge funds have a more difficult time of obtaining financing uh, on the lower-end properties. So what the, what requires them to do is it requires them to get a higher gross return to still meet their needs um, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In and, and I know you're not just looking at the market from the point of view of, of, of the hedge funds that you service. Where where is the sweet spot? I mean, amongst amongst all the various hedge funds, uh, what is what is the thing that they most want in terms of price range and rents? Well, that, that, that's a really good question. Um, the the real question comes down to is appreciation included in the calculation or not? And and we started clearly as investors before we were servicers to hedge funds, and it comes down to a couple key assumptions. 
Um, we, we were always looking for those areas that had at least 50% owner occupants or better that had the possibility of appreciation. Whether that's right or wrong, that, that's, that was our strategy. And once we defined that that was the market we looked for, uh, what we found, and we've talked to quite a few hedge funds that say the same thing, is they look for that house all in between fifty and $70,000 that can rent out between eight hundred and nine fifty. We find lots of hedge funds looking for that for that property because it's going to it's going to yield a gross return somewhere in the sixteen to eighteen percent, and depending on what you're assuming for expenses, you know somewhere between an eight and a nine and a half cap rate. That that seems to be a number that is generally achievable in most areas in the Midwest, um, and in, and as long as they can stay in a neighborhood where they believe appreciation is possible, they're buying as many as they can. Okay, we've got a question here. From, uh, I'm sorry, I paged down and now I have lost the name of the person who asked the question. Uh, we have a question from Matthew who is in the Philadelphia area. He says, I hate to be so blunt and I'm not certain if your guests can even answer this question, but how are these hedge funds making money? When I do the math on their properties with my experience in 20 years of managing rental real estate, I cannot see how they are generating the returns that they are telling their investors that they are uh, generating. And I've heard that a lot too, that, you know, the, 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 the um, private placement memorandum says that the expected return or the preferred return even is 11%. And when someone who's actually managed houses like that looks and says, oh, but you forgot this expense and this expense and, and this expense doesn't line up with my own experience, we come up with lower numbers. No, that, that's a great question. And, and I would argue uh, when you're all, if your all-in number for, and all-in means purchase price and repairs, is under seventy thousand, yeah, for me there's a very clear way forward so a company can make money, especially if you leverage, because again, th- there's no reason a company can't make an eight percent return cash on cash and then go leverage even at fifty percent and make in the mid-teens. Now, when someone's buying a hundred and sixty thousand dollar house. I have the exact same question that the investor has or the, the, that the person who sent the email in. It, it's Our speculation and my math would suggest the exact same result. They're banking on appreciation. You know, if, if you're making a 6% gross return and you're paying the investor a 4% preferred return, okay, maybe you're making some money on property management, but you, there's not le- a lot of money left there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, very true. And, and, and Matthew, I think... Uh, you also just heard something that's very important that hasn't gone into a lot of calculations, which is the leverage. If you can take the cash back out again and go buy other houses with it, that does tend to increase your return. And although there have been some very high profile uh, loans made recently, uh, I think Deutsche Bank just loaned Blackstone or Colony like a billion dollars on their portfolio. Uh, that's the part we don't see. Is, is what's what's really going on in the background and how much are they really ended up ending up invested uh, in the property for. So Scott, we just have a couple more minutes. How is this all going to end? What is the, I've seen, this is such a big topic of conversation. I've seen Facebook, I've seen blogs of people saying, oh, it's gonna be 18 months and they're all gonna have to dump their properties. No, 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 they know exactly what they're doing. They're holding them off market on purpose. They're gonna sell them in five years. They're gonna make a fortune. What's for, what's what do you, what, in your opinion? Well, I, I sure wish I knew the answer to that question, but you know th- there are a couple key factors. The the first of which is you know how much inventory is out there, and you could probably spend a two hour show you know answering and trying to figure out what amount of inventory is left out there. Uh, but from everything that I've seen, there still is a certain amount. So hedge funds will continue to do that. 
And when there's a scenario, as there is today, where it's, you know, it's, it's a little tougher to get loans, the rental demand has continued to increase in most areas, what happens is a hedge fund goes into an area, they buy as many properties as they can, they see cap rate compression, and they move. And uh, we will continue to see hedge funds move from tier two city to tier two city. And again, the basic definition of a tier two city is, you know, typically above 700,000 with a stable to increasing population. Those are typically the cities that they want to be in. And there are lots of untapped areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have to think about other options because they're um, hedge fund money although a lot of it seems to be based out of Texas and California for some reason, uh, it's really Wall Street money. The, the, the folks who are investing in that don't care where their money is. What they care about is where can they get a return. So uh, one question becomes, does another asset class pop up that looks like it's going to... They, they are much more mobile than, than those of us who make our full-time living in one city in the real estate business. We can't say, oh, I you know uh, gold looks really good. I'm going to go invest in that instead because we're already so invested. So um, what does the stock market do as part of the question? What do, what do interest rates do? What do bonds do? Or, or does uh, uh, does commercial property become a hot asset class again? It hasn't been for the past few years because of the overbuilding and retail. So, uh, you know, throw all the ingredients together and something will come out of the pack and we just don't know what it is. <laughs> My guest today has been Scott Davis, the president of Pink Lore Properties. He will be at tomorrow night's Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meeting, uh, talking about how you can get involved with local Cincinnati hedge funds, who's here in town, which is uh, something that we haven't uh, really addressed, and what the opportunities are for you. You can also come at 6 o'clock and learn about uh, the basics of rental properties if you're a new investor or how to invest in group housing if you are a an active investor. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to real estate investing and financial independence. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.